0: Former Chicago police officer Jason Van Dyke is being released from prison this week. He was convicted in 2018 for the 2014 murder of teenager Laquan McDonald. Van Dyke's release comes after he served less than half of his six-year and nine-month sentence. The case has shone a light on the issue of police brutality and the code of silence. It cost then-Mayor Rahm Emanuel his third term and led to the creation of a federal consent decree in Chicago. But was Van Dyke's conviction the watershed moment for police reform that many hoped it would be? Joining me now is Sharice Pryor, Senior Staff Counsel and Director of Justice Reform at BPI Chicago, a nonprofit law and police center. She also played a leading role in negotiating and later enforcing the consent decree. Sharice, welcome to Reset. Hi,
1: Sasha. Thank you for having me.
0: Also with us is Echo Yanka, a law professor at Cardozo School of Law. Echo, welcome back.
2: It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Let's start with you, Sharice. You know, following the murder of Laquan McDonald and the uh, Department of Justice investigation into CPD, you were working at the Illinois Attorney General's office and, and you helped negotiate the federal consent decree. So I want you to take us back to that time. What was the change that you and your team were hoping and working toward?
1: Yeah. At that time, we were hoping to institute large-scale policy changes throughout the department, affecting the career span of an officer to try to change the culture that was pervading CPD that made it such that Officers were not treating people who they encounter with the dignity, respecting their, the rights that they had when engaging with uh, community members.
0: The, uh, the country's changed since Van Dyke went to prison, right? We saw the killing of George Floyd, a racial reckoning, the conviction of the officer who killed Floyd, Derek Chauvin. We also saw the, the case of Ahmad Arbery and, and the sentencing of the three men who killed him. So, Sharice, looking back at the events of the last couple of years, would you say things have improved since Van Dyke went away?
1: There have been a number of important developments that have changed the way that we think about policing in this country. I think one of the important things that has happened is that there has been a rise in the level of public consciousness about the violence perpetrated by police officers. With the rise of videotapes and body and dash cam footage, more and more people are seeing the abuses that black and brown communities have been experiencing and fighting to change for a very long time. And so there's still a long road ahead for us to go to really to make the types of changes that we need to see to avoid incidents like Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Laquan McDonald, and others.
0: Echo, way in here. What do you think?
2: I do think the country has changed some. You know, I I join I join Sharice in in saying there's a long way to go. I mean, Chicago, I don't need to tell any of your listeners, has had a long troubled police department. You know, there are cases that are still under investigation for police units that essentially decided they would govern poor black communities, however they wanted to, framed countless people. There's been, you know, disgraced officers who ran torture units. And it's painful, I think, for a lot of people, in particular communities of color, that literally generations of saying, this is what's happened to us, were totally disbelieved and discounted until one video was shown to the rest of the world. So. If that's what it took for the rest of the world to say, wait a minute, maybe we ought to at least listen to our communities of color, that's a step forward, but it's a bittersweet one.
0: You know, Cherise, consent decrees, they, they take years to be implemented, but uh, progress on the consent decree here has been very slow, and a lot of deadlines have been missed. Why do you think that is?
1: I think there are a number of reasons. Chicago is a large department. In addition to CKD headquarters, there are 22 police districts, and there is a need for broad-scale change in policies and culture, and that does take time. I think that there is a need for more resources dedicated to pushing for the policy development that needs to happen. And doing that in conjunction with the community members who are interacting with the police on the, on the day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. I think there's just a lot of work to do and a need for more urgency among leaders in affecting the change that needs to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. And when we talk about missed deadlines, there was a formal foot pursuit policy, uh, also uh, missing the deadline on uh, reporting hate crimes community policing and crisis interventions, just to name a few things. It's also worth noting a Chicago police leader, Chad Williams, resigned last summer, saying that CPD's top leadership failed, quote, to even feign interest in pursuing reform in a meaningful manner.
1: Your response, Cherise? I think it's disheartening, right? You, There needs to be leadership in affecting the change. It has to come from the top down, There clearly is uh, something that is hindering progress within the police department, in addition to the missed deadlines that you've mentioned, Sasha. You know, we see it when we think about the accountability section of the consent decree, where in the last reporting period, their CPD had only reached some level of compliance with only 8% of those paragraphs. And that is particularly disheartening when you consider that CPD is responsible for investigating 70% of the complaints Against the department's officers, and so there needs to be some intentionality by leadership in making sure that everyone in the department is committed to the change that needs to happen in order for policies and trainings and the practices required by the consent decree to be lived out in practice.
0: Echo uh, State's Attorney Kim Fox said, quote, the sentence that was put down for Jason Van Dyke does not meet the crime. If another police officer, whether here or or elsewhere, were to do what Van Dyke did now, could he or she still get the type of sentence that Van Dyke did?
2: They certainly could. I mean, sentencing is just broadly within the power of a judge. And, And so even though many of us hailed the verdict as a huge victory, It was always going to be a question about what the judge did. I mean, look, I think the reality that everybody recognizes is that most people who commit second-degree murder, most people who commit any homicide just get vastly larger sentences than police officers. I think it's hard to know these stats. They're not very widely gathered, but some of the best evidence shows that the average homicide gets almost 50 years in jail, whereas an average police killing gets somewhere around 16 years in jail. And then Van Dyke, of course, got just under seven years. So even compared to the average police killing, which are hardly ever convicted, he got really quite a lenient sentence. Now, you know, as an academic, I can tell you there are complications in that. Police officers don't usually have prior felonies, and so aggravating factors are different. Of course, there are lots of complications, but it's not for nothing that people have the political feeling that police officers just aren't facing the justice that everybody else is and that Van Dykes was even particularly low. And if another person, if another police officer committed such a crime, it would really be the political moment we're in that would constrain the judge, not any particular law.
0: Sharice, have we learned from our past and enacted enough new policies and protections to deter police officers from shooting civilians?
1: I think we are still a work in progress. Uh, And I think that is evident from the lack of progress we've seen with implementation in the consent decree. I will say, despite the lack of progress that we're seeing in the department's compliance with the consent decree, there have been some important developments in our state and in our city that I think help increase the important accountability structures that we need to have. Last year, we saw the passage of the Safety Act which strengthen the state's system for licensing and decertifying officers. At the city level, we saw the creation of the Community Commission on Public Safety and Accountability, which provides an accountability check at the front end by involving community members in developing CPD policies. But these solutions are created around CPD and not by CPD. And so we need to see more from the department in terms of making sure that various accountability structures are in place, such as a system that identifies at-risk officers and gives supervisors the tools to be able to, when they do have an at-risk officer, providing some interventions like a, a training or more close supervision or discipline if misconduct occurs. So there's more and more that we can be doing at the department to show that we've learned from Laquan McDonald's murder, uh-huh. but we're just not there yet.
0: You know, speaking of accountability, I Echo, not long ago there was a discussion of police reform on Capitol Hill after the George Floyd Justice and Policing Bill was introduced. That bill would have limited. Qualified immunity for police officers, but it's stalled. Do you think that legislation could make a big difference for police accountability?
2: Well, I think it's always important to remember that policing is the quintessential local power. I mean, we look to D.C. because sometimes we lose faith in our local institutions. You know, people hail when there's a federal consent decree. But this is an example of why, in the end, when we want to change policing, we have to look to our, our local sheriff if they're elected, depending on where you live. There's a reason why Ron Emanuel, as you pointed out, suffered greatly because of his handling of this and, and lost his bid for being a mayor again. That's where we can affect police. I mean, this story is in part a story of sometimes hoping too much that the federal government can descend on us like, like a magic lightning bolt or something. After all, you know, one of the tragedies of this case is that the Justice Department has been investigating the murder of Laquan McDonald for six years, and that investigation simply continues with no updates and no real resolution. Mm-hmm. So it, it's always a reminder that, you know, policing is something we must change on the local level.
0: What would you say are the consequences of inaction?
2: The thing is, as you have pointed out, these frustrations are not new. They have been in not just communities of color, but especially communities of color for a long time. And if all we do is react to spectacular violence rather than decide to try to change things on the sort of quotidian, on the everyday level, then what we get are you know, moments of incredible protest and anger when we see a video of a young black man gunned down or George Floyd have his breath crushed from his very body. But then life moves on, the protests stop, and people get distracted. It's, it's always been the people who are gonna be dedicated to the daily work, but, but inaction means that essentially we're just going to make sure that we repeat this cycle, that there'll be another moment of spectacular violence, spectacular outrage, but nothing changes on the ground.
0: Well, that's it for today's reset. And you can hear more every weekday afternoon by adding this podcast to your feed. And while you're there, please give us a rating. It helps people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you right back here tomorrow with a new episode.
1: Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR.